actually in week three of Samson. We're doing a series. Let's all stand to our feet and praise God for what he's going to bring this morning. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hi, everyone. What a great day in God's house, hey? Shall we do... Shall we do one big shout? Samson, Samson style, Fury style. I always like a big shout. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Count of three. One big shout for God. One, two, three. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And let me pray for you. Father, we thank you, Father, that you are a God who is full of love. Uh, for those that choose you, Father, and full of fury, Father, towards sin and, and the brokenness of this world, God. And we love you for that, God. We love you for your protective heart, God. And Lord, I pray that we'll just draw into you and draw close to you and into that protection today as we hear your word. Amen. All right, grab a seat. This week, we are talking about the third act of our fury preach and it's called Betrayal. Such an emotional scene, isn't it? We just finished the... Um, we talked about Noah a couple of weeks ago, and I was just reminded that in that scene, the rain and the sorrow that can take place in relationships. See, last week in our preach, <coughs> we went through the controversy of Samson playing with fire as he married a Philistine enemy. And one by one, he broke the Nazarite vows that were supposed to be the defining feature of his life. Samson's dream of true love. A lot of human beings have that dream, don't they? Samson's dream of true love, it quickly descended into what might be described as a hellish nightmare as the Philistine people ransomed his fiancée to first betray Samson's confidence, then her own virginity, and finally, they burnt her alive. So intense. Samson goes on a killing spree, and then he hits rock bottom, literally living in the cave, until his own Israelite people come knocking and betray him to the Philistines. And we think, I, I was thinking about that uh, this week. I was thinking, how could they do that? And then, you know, I see all around me all the time, Christians betraying fellow Christians. You know, the church kind of condemning Israel Falal. See, but where men betray, God remains faithful. And Samson makes asses of the Philistines, killing a thousand men with a donkey's jawbone. Further still, God bursts forth a spring. Do you remember this? Jogging a memory? God bursts forth a spring in a desert to wash Samson clean, to satisfy his thirst and to inspire hope. And I'm going to start my uh, dad jokes nice and early for you today. I've got here to put a spring in his step. 
<laughs> Someone said amen, did they? <laughs> or do they say omen? <laughs> A bad omen. Um, see, these symbols, I was a bit bummed out this week because I think that those symbols of the cave and the spring, they're so deeply prophetic. A cave and a spring. And as I reflected on it with some people from church, and I, I you know, I don't know if you've been in a cave lightless time in your life i'd say you probably have i think we all have or we've felt like we have but the thing then i was thinking about a cave and i was thinking well why would anyone go into a cave at all and i guess in samson's instance he was going in there out of desperation he was on people were hunting for him he was he was at his rock bottom but do you know, the thing about a cave is it also opens up the earth. There's also opportunity in a cave. There's precious jewels that can be found in a cave. You know that? And I want to tell you that for those of you that have felt those lightless times in your life, there is an opportunity in that to find something most precious. Christ's life was one fraught with suffering and that when you, when you suffer and when you bring Christ into that, when you carry the cross with him, man, there's an opportunity there. In Revelation, it describes the believer as a precious jewel. And it's through those moments, it's in the hardest of moments, when we're the closest to Jesus, that we can start finding those, unearthing those precious jewels. Anyway, I'm getting distracted from last week's preach. But I wanted to say that every cave in your life is prophesying a spring. Every single one prophesies a spring. God has good intentions for you. And how I long to tell you, church, that when that spring came up in the desert, the damps, that Samson kept dancing in that spring all the days of his life. That's what I want to tell you. Part one spoils and we go 20-ish years later from that beautiful spring we left the story with samson a hot-blooded full-hearted starry-eyed boy and as we rush back into the scene what we find is the smoking ruins of a middle-aged man-child addict Judges 16.1, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and went in to spend the night with her. Say what? Am I reading the Bible? <laughs> thought the Bible was meant to be about good stuff. Come on. Where's the diamonds? I like the diamonds. <laughs> oh. The nerve of this guy. Samson had decimated the Philistine food supply. He'd decimated the Philistine army and now he's waltzing through their cities, taking whatever and whoever he wanted. What nerve. And this verse, as we read it, should deeply trouble you because the modern equivalent might be the leader of this church's INC movement called Ross Abraham, would be the, the equivalent of if Ross Abraham was also the Prime Minister of Australia to do such a thing, to have an affair. 
devastating, right? Does it unsettle you that God's chosen man behaves in such a way? Unsettles me. You know, I confess that at the start of Samson's story, I forgave him the misadventures of his youth. Almost laughed at him, that cheeky Samson. Got in another fight today, did you, Samson? Ah, this guy. See, because although he was cocky, proud, and bumbling through his calling, love is blind. Folly is in the heart of youth. And the scripture tells us that God led him to that paradoxical love, if you were here for the first week. But now to me it seems clear that Samson has not allowed Jesus to heal the hurt in his heart that he had been accumulating in his life. And so his development became arrested in the trauma of his childhood, causing anger and bitterness to rot inside him. This is a story that sadly I see all around me all the time. Arrested development. Any strong man will tell you that to grow your muscles, you need to tear and then heal. And if all you ever do is tear, 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 a muscle can only take so much. Strength can only take so much. And eventually, it's going to break. I want to read between the lines for a little bit with you, if that's all right. Will you allow me that? That's good, because that's what I've written here. (laughs) I think Samson feels unlovable and that he doesn't want to make himself vulnerable. And so he seeks love in lowly places. See, when you seek love in a lowly place like that and you feel unlovable, don't want to be vulnerable, see, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. In doing that, he became more unlovable, doesn't he? He becomes more vulnerable, more, 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 like an addict. He seeks comfort from his pain in the source of his pain. Why do we humans do this? Oh, I don't understand. See, here's the source. Samson is defining his self-worth in the arms of a woman instead of in God's love. Seems stupidly obvious, doesn't it? I reckon he's lost all faith in marriage and true love. In fact, his experience has taught him to marry together Love and trauma. It was a revelation for me when I first had that thought. What if someone's idea of love was pain? And that in order to feel love, they had to put themselves through pain. Isn't that a scary thought? And so he perpetuates a cycle of abuse because that's all he's ever known. 
That's what he thinks he deserves. And it makes him feel just that little bit closer to that first love he lost in the flames that we heard last week. The band Control, a secular band called Control, don't know if you've heard of them. They sung a famous line that you might have heard of. Love. Love will tear us apart again. Sound like love to you? Any definition of love outside of God is sin. And will tear you apart one way or another. I want you to let that sink in. I want you to let that change your brain. Any definition of love outside of God is sin. All you need to do is depart from that one millimeter and you'll find yourself down a track where you don't even recognize yourself, where you've got nothing worth having, where your relationships that are supposed to be pure and true and what humanity and all of those things are all about. If you depart from letting God be the source and the perspective on those things, you find yourself in a Samson kind of place. And no one wants that. And yet it happens, it happens. Now hoping to catch Samson with his pants down, the people of Gaza surrounded the brothel. But for some reason, perhaps angelic intervention, they foolishly decided to wait till dawn. I guess so he could see them coming. <laughs> that was a joke, people. <laughs> I just, I think this, this is why I'm saying angelic intervention. Why wait till dawn? They know where he is. They've got the, the numbers. They've got the cover of night. They're either cowards or there's angels intervening in this circumstance. Nevertheless, something woke Samson up in the middle of the night. Perhaps angelic intervention. Round two. Judges 16.3. Then Samson got up and he took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and he tore them loose and he lifted them to his shoulders and he carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. This is a random guy, hey. <laughs> Needed new doors on his house. <laughs> oh. These gates, they say, weighed about 500 kilograms. Anyone bench 500 kilograms? And he carried them 70 kilometers or from here to Kayama, the equivalent of from here to Kayama, by foot. When I was at university, who here knows I'm an artist? Everyone? People know, people know I'm an artist. Who here knows I'm a weird artist? <laughs> when I was at university, I, was, um, I liked doors too. A bit like God, maybe. And I, um, I actually, for my final artwork, I dug a grave by hand. By, um, yeah, I got my pick. I dug myself a big hole. And in, in the hole, I threw a door in there. But I like God's artwork better. This idea of this doorway randomly placed on a hill. Just a doorway. 
What's God trying to tell? Imagine walking along. You're just walking along or you're driving by. There's a few fields around here. And you look up on the hill and there's a giant town's doorway, just the doorway. (laughs) And here's the thing. Why is it that something about looking up at that doorway on a hill, those ridiculous gates, reminds me of Jesus' cross up on Calvary. In the ancient world, a town's gates were the symbol of their strength, just as Samson was a symbol of God's strength. Gates are a physical manifestation of moral boundaries, if you really think about it. I'm a philosopher. See, we want to protect the right things and to keep out the wrong things, right? Is that why you've got fences around your home? Is that why you've got a door on your house? <laughs> Listen up, because this is important. See, boundaries are for sin, but they're not for God. That's why we've got boundaries. See, we're supposed to have boundaries in our morality and in our, uh, our sex life. But Samson's physical strength and unfettered fleshly desire had become a boundary between himself and God. For this town to have gates is as laughable as a prostitute prostitution to have boundaries regardless of man's delusions there is no protection in our deepest intimacy Uh -uh. but the holy spirit wants to wake us up in the middle of our darkest times with our enemies all around us god wants to free us from the boundaries of our sin and our hurt and our hard-heartedness So Jesus was wrenched from heaven. He carried his flesh, the cross, the weight of our sin upon his shoulders and was crucified upon a hill so that those who believe in him may enter heaven through him. Likewise, for we who follow in Jesus' footsteps Overcoming the boundary of our fallen flesh is a gateway to heaven. Also for those around us. Because Jesus didn't just do what he did for himself. He did it for us. So we should be living that way also. Do you think you're going to get all that from a gate? See what happens when you open the door to heaven? Whoa. (laughs) All right, part two, folly. Oh God, have mercy. If only Samson heeded his own Gaza Gate prophecy. See, Samson was going around doing these God things and not even asking God why he was doing them, you know? What a crude vessel, doesn't even know what he's doing. I wonder if we're like that. I wonder if you've got going. I wonder if sometimes you ask yourself, Oh God, you used to do things in my life. What about now? What about now? What have you done for me lately? There's things happening in your life, whether you see it or not, where God is manifesting his gospel, if you're a believer in him. The the hardest part, 
I find the hardest part about being a Christian is seeing what's right in front of me. The hardest part. Opening and keeping open your spiritual eyes. Reminds me of um, Gethsemane, actually, where Jesus just asked him to pray for him. Just asked him to pray. Every time he comes back, they're asleep again, asleep again, asleep again. Oh, why does that remind me of me so much? <laughs> Judges 16, 4 to 5. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. Ooh, big shock there. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower, bind and humble him. And we will give you 5,500 pieces of silver, about $100,000 today. All the Philistines needed to do to discover the secret of Samson's power is the same thing that you need to do to discover the secret of God's power. Pick up and read their Bibles. If they read a Bible and they got a concordance and they searched for hair, then they would have found all these secrets. But the thing is that Samson was such a bad dude that the Philistines, that would have been the last place that the Philistines looked for their answer. They're like, Samson, Bible, lol. You know, <laughs> no one would have put those two things together. Hopefully, you know, none of us would think the same thing about us, you know. Hopefully people think, if I want to know what you're about, I better look at the, into this Bible business. That's what I'd like to think. Nevertheless, they were as desperate for victory as Samson was for love. And so they prayed upon his weakness. Delilah. It's fun to say. Her name literally means she who weakened. Uh-oh. This might be the one that gets you, mate. By this point, Samson had killed thousands of Philistines, her people. He may have killed Delilah's friends, father, child, husband. I don't know. doesn't say. But she clearly wasn't reciprocating his advances until the Philistine rulers paid her to seduce him. Which kind of makes her a hero to her people. Not to us, because we're Samson's people. Like it or not. <laughs> Anyone encountered a bully before? Anyone been bullied? Believe it or not, I, I've even been bullied. And I've bullied. I've done both. There's something great about overthrowing a bully. You know what I mean? Like I was trying to empathize with Delilah a little bit. And I was like, even as I read Samson's story, I kind of want to throw him under a bus too. I'm like, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be seen with this guy. You know, I'm going to spend my life putting out the fires this guy starts, you know? Yeah, it's weird. I'd encourage you to read the Bible that way. Make it real to you. Make it challenging to you. All right. Judges 16.6. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue, subdue you. Well, since you asked so politely. 
<laughs> Please? Why do you want to know, Delilah? <laughs> oh. If Samson had had an ounce of humility and self-awareness, he might have safely answered at this point, I may be bound with the affection of an ungodly yet attractive woman. There's an honest answer. But instead we see a repeat of the riddle cat and mouse game that cost him everything in his first marriage. Word to the wise, don't play games with your relationships. Just as Samson had, in, had been enticed by Philistine women three times, three times he tricked Delilah, and each trick trickles a profound truth about Samson. And we're going to go through them. This whole situation is bizarre, and it's as though he was trying to communicate with Delilah and to win her over in the only way he knew how by giving her his story, by surrendering. It's, this section of the Bible is actually really tragic. It's, it's love really badly broken. But I want to go through the symbols he uses because they're fascinating. <clears throat> and they're kind of autobiographical in a weird way. So the first thing he tells her that would work to get rid of his strength, that's what we're talking about, is that he might be bound by se seven fresh bowstrings. Samson's hair was actually seven giant dreadlocks. Do you know that? Actually, seven big locks of hair. And thus, this clue was directly alluding to his hair, wasn't it? Seven bowstrings, seven dreadlocks. In some cultures, it was believed that fresh bowstrings were kind of lucky, magical. Likewise, within Christianity, the number seven is God's number. See, this is a story that Samson's telling here about a hope-filled time when he was fresh. A boy with a divine and dangerous destiny on his head who had choice. I don't want to go in this, into this too much, but I love the idea that the seven bowstrings might have been seven parallel realities for Samson. I just like that idea. God's powerful enough. He can stop time and rewrite it. Did you know that? Samson had choice. We have choice. Love that about God. And I love this about my wife, that when I was talking, when we were looking at these symbols together, she really had a heart for baby Samson. Like this just really the freshness of this, you know, the mother heart towards Samson, you know. And I know we've got kids here. I know what it feels like to watch them kind of make those choices that you know they shouldn't do. You know, it's tragic. It's tragic. The next example he gives, <coughs> gives insight though, doesn't it, being a parent? The next example he gives is that he might be bound by new rope. Our young bowstrings have grown up into a rope. New rope is still special, but not quite so divine or dangerous or fresh as his first example, was it? 
It's as though he'd begun making choices, limiting his options, tightening the noose, some might say. Lastly, we have the for her to weave his seven locks into her loom. As I thought on the story of Samson and Delilah, I had in my head the strange image of a spider that was longing to give us, no, sorry, of a fly that was longing to give a spider a kiss. <laughs> and then I found out another word for loom is web. Samson had made his web and now he was lying in it. And is it too soon to say that danger was looming? I need a drummer up here for like the majority of the sermon, you know. I do at least 10 of those each time. All right. So with this clue, Samson reveals his hair to be the source of his power, albeit at Delilah's mercy, looms create cloth. They, you weave strands to make cloth, to cover the shame of our nakedness. During Samson's time, the loom would have been a symbol of domesticity and femininity. Samson is acknowledging that he has shamed himself and God's anointing by implicating himself with Philistine women. Nevertheless, within the prophetic loom, there is also a secret promise that perhaps Samson's identity and anointing could go beyond himself and become a covering for his others, for Israel, for us even. Got to look out for those little mysteries in the Bible. Samson did not trust Delilah, and yet he loved her. Didn't trust her, and yet he loved her. Doesn't that reveal the brokenness of man's love? I thought love and trust kind of supposed to go hand in hand, right? Is that normal to think that? Man, our hearts are messy. Three times Samson tricked Delilah and then she would bind him with those methods we've talked about. And then she'd let the enemy in and scream, Samson, the Philistines are upon you! Which is an ironic statement since, you know, he was kind of sleeping with the enemy. But nevertheless, each time Samson broke the bonds, except that is for his most dangerous bond, the black widow Delilah, kept sticking around. Samson epitomizes what today's society calls toxic masculinity. And Delilah epitomizes what none today dare say, toxic femininity. Ecclesiastes 7.26 More bitter than death is the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sin, the sinner, is taken by her. And if anyone ought to know, it's Solomon with 900 wives. Now the X-rated version of this story is emotional and sexual manipulation. If you want to train an animal, you starve it of food. And if you want to train a man, you starve him of... I'll let you finish that sentence. <laughs> Which is precisely how ungodly relationships warp good thinking. 
High school sex ed preaches to wear protection so our bodies don't contract disease. But here in church, I'll tell you today that you need to wear God's love. You need to take that on yourself so that your eternal soul doesn't contract disease. It's actually more important. How come no one's talking about protecting your heart? All they see is the body. I hope this isn't all that there is to me. It's not good enough. Wouldn't it be nice if the world cared about our hearts? Tell you, God cares for your heart. Sex is for marriage. Samson's failure to embrace the touch of God's love and healing had left him so emotionally desperate that he was willing to gamble his entire life in the pursuit of intimacy. Again, not unusual. See it all the time. And after three strikes, Delilah brings out the big guns. Judges 16, 15. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? And I actually agree with Delilah there, by the way. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Side note, her body might have... Uh, kept him around, but it was her words that were wearing him down. I find that interesting. Delilah was testing Samson's love for her, even though she didn't love Samson. Just as Samson's entire life had been testing God's love for him, even though Samson didn't really love God if we're being honest about it. Interesting parallel. Verse 17, And Samson told her all his heart. What a tragic sentiment. And as if in the embodiment of this vulnerability and this worship, she made him sleep on her knees. And as Samson's final Nazarite vow was shaved from his head, the last one, the only one he hadn't broken, the only promise he hadn't broken to God, as it was shaved from his head, that Philistinic demon, demon, uncontrollably manifests from his betrayer Delilah. It says in the Bible, it says that she began tormenting him even as he slept. Who's she talking to? She's manifesting people. It's demonic. You can imagine the words, you know, putrid, loser, pathetic, weak, unlovable. Manifesting. This is someone who he was so comfortable with, so blind to, that he could fall asleep on her lap. And yet, what was inside her? Beyond even her control, probably. Who can, who can you trust, church? Who can you trust? See, true to her script, when the job was done, Delilah screamed, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And for the first time in his life, Samson's physicality came into alignment with the weakness of his morality. 
And all at once he felt the full force of his betrayal. Not of Delilah, not of himself, not of his flesh, but of himself to, to God. The one that had never betrayed him. And the Philistines seized him and they gouged out his eyes and then they locked him away in a Gazian prison. And that's another fury, church. Have I left you furious? I said, are you furious? The idiom goes, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Let me correct that for you today. Hell hath all the fury of a God scorned. Scary thought, isn't it? Lust ends lackluster. Love binds, flesh blinds. Therefore, bind yourself to God and open your spiritual eyes. Church, I'll get you to stand to your feet. Give yourself a shake because I want you to hear this conclusion, all right? Got the music. You can do a little dance as you listen. Love binds, flesh blinds. Therefore, bind yourself to God. Open your spiritual eyes. God's identity and power is woven into the loom of men. God has woven himself into the loom of men, into your identity. That we might be covered from our shame. And Jesus has been raised up like a gate on a hill. So that those that have the eyes to set them above themselves and above the things of this world, that they might enter into spirit and into eternity. And church, I understand that this is, it's been a bit heavy today. And because I love you too much to leave you without a spring in, without a spring in your step. <laughs> spring in your step. Anyone want a spring in their step or should I just leave now? Do you want some hope or not? <laughs> you ready for the spring? All right. Next week's going to be week four of fury, redemption. Yes. Been waiting, waiting, waiting. So I leave you with Judges 16.22, a cliffhanger. But the hair of his head began to grow again. Woo! Come on! Make sure you're here next week to hear how it ends. Let's praise God.